0: Carol. It's kind of a tough text to read, Uh, so I promise you I'm not hazing her. That is just the text that fits the message today. Really what that text deals with is who is in and who is out when it comes to the assembly of the Lord. That's a question we're often asking ourselves. Who's in and who's out in our own culture today? If you remember when you were planning your wedding and you knew you could only send out so many invitations because you could only afford to have so many people at the reception, you had to make some tough decisions. We had some long conversations, my wife and Sarah and I did, about who's in and who's out. This even begins when we're children in elementary school. If you remember around the lunch hour, there's, your friends will gather at a table and they'll invite their circle of friends to sit with them, but there's always never enough room for that other student. And so that student has to sit by themselves. Not everyone is able to sit at the table together. Or when you're in the playground and you're, you're picking teams, you know, and, and, and kids are being chosen and some kids get left behind out, some are left on the outside. Or even in high school and middle school when you're picking sports teams, whether it be basketball or football or baseball or soccer, and you're picking teams out in the playground and, and will your, some kids are chosen and others are, are left behind, left out. You ever been left out before? I know I have. I remember when I was left out, and the first time I went to my uh, gym at my high school, Midland Lee, I, I had spent most of my years going to a private school called Trinity School in Midland, Texas, from when I was four until the ninth grade. So when I came as a sophomore to Midland Lee, I was brand new. I really didn't know a lot of students. And there were 12 of us in the gym, and we were picking teams. And I was one of only two white guys in the gym. There weren't many others. And I didn't know any of the guys who were picking teams. And, and I wasn't very tall back then. And, and, and so I wasn't chosen. And I wasn't too upset because well, I thought, well, they don't know who I am, and, and I don't know them very well, and but as the game got started, I could tell that I was actually better than some of those kids who were, who were playing. Now, it's true, I couldn't jump as high, but the last time I checked, the baskets that are made outside the arc, the three-point arc, are worth three points. The, the dunks that are made down the center of the, the lane, which are impressive, are only worth two points, and so I couldn't wait to get my chance to, to play on the court. Well, finally, the game ended and I got a chance to play. And so when I got there, it brought me great joy when the first shot I took was over the guy who didn't pick me the first go around. Made a three-pointer right in his face. It made me feel very good. (laughs) How do we determine who's in and who's out? Do we base it on appearance? And not too long ago, just over 53 years ago, it wasn't uncommon to see signs like these in Montgomery, Alabama, Or signs like this one in Selma, Alabama. Just so you know, I'm not trying to pick on Alabama. My dad was actually born in Alabama, but that was certainly a big part of their history, a sad part of their history. Who's in and who's out? How do we decide who's going to be in? In the book of Deuteronomy, the passage that Carol read so beautifully just a moment ago, we can see there are some real strict requirements when it comes to the assembly of the Lord, when it comes to worshiping the God of Israel. Now, if you remember, Deuteronomy was, is Moses' last address to the people of God before they enter into the promised land. And, and through Moses, uh, uh, God is giving direction to the people of Israel. And the big concern at that time on God's behalf was that, was that if the people of Israel come into the promised land, they might intermarry with the Canaanites or the Amorites or the Girgashites or the Perizzites or the Hivites and the Jebusites who lived in the promised land, who worshipped foreign gods. And God was concerned that if they began to intermarry with these people from foreign, foreign lands, then they might begin to follow those foreign gods, and that would break God's heart. And so he made real strict rules about who was in and who's out, and, and how they should not intermarry. We can see in Deuteronomy 23 that no male eunuchs or Ammonites or Moabites or anyone born of a forbidden union can enter the worship assembly of Israel. In ancient times... Uh, men were often castrated so they could serve in the royal palace of a foreign ruler or in the temple of foreign gods. And for the Israelites, God is holy. And the Israelites didn't want, to, didn't want anything to defile their worship, to keep, make it impure by having foreigners who worshiped foreign gods as a part of their worship. And so they banned them from entering the assembly of the Lord. Fortunately for us, Deuteronomy 23 isn't the final word on whether or not eunuchs or Moabites or those married in a forbidden union, can worship the God of Israel. To see what else the Bible says about who's out and who's in when it comes to the kingdom of God, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. It may be found on page 1166 of your pew Bible, Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. But Before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to, to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you so much that you inspired Luke, the physician, to put pen to paper, to give an orderly account of the earliest church. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit who inspired Luke and and gives us eyes to see today and ears to hear. And we pray that by your Spirit you might soften our hearts, that we might be transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name, we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 26, listen to the word of the Lord. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and, and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I? Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. If you remember last week when Murray preached on uh, the first part of Acts chapter eight, Philip was in the city of Samaria preaching to the masses the good news about Jesus. In fact, up to this point in the book of Acts, all of the evangelism has taken place within cities where there's lots of people. But now God calls Philip The deacon to go to a deserted road, the road to Gaza, in the middle of the wilderness, to meet and have a divine appointment. The road to Gaza at this time from Jerusalem was in the middle of a dry, desolate wilderness. And by all accounts, it was not traveled very much. The chance of Philip seeing someone on his road is pretty slim. But Philip doesn't believe in chance, he believes in providence. So when God calls him to go, he goes. He doesn't question it, he simply follows the message of the angel of the Lord, and he goes to the road and then it comes upon a man. Let's read again Luke's description of the man that Philip meets on the road to Gaza. And he arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, of all the people that God would want Philip to meet on the desert road of Gaza, why does God want Philip to meet an Ethiopian eunuch? I mean, we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 23 that, the, that eunuchs are not allowed into the assembly of the Lord. And as an Ethiopian, he would have been a, a Gentile, a non-Jew. And so even when this Ethiopian went to Jerusalem to worship, the best he could hope for was to be left outside in the court of the Gentiles. They may not have known that he was a eunuch when he came in. If they knew he was a eunuch, they wouldn't even let him in the temple. But if if they just simply saw his skin color, which he would have been black, then they would have just said, well, you're a Gentile. You must stay in the court of the Gentiles. You're not allowed into the inner sanctuary for worship. Why does God have Philip meet with this clearly man who's an outsider of all people, an Ethiopian eunuch? Why does God want Philip to evangelize to such an obvious outsider? As we look at the gospels, as you read through the book of Acts, we'll see that God sent Jesus to save outsiders, which includes you and me today. See, the truth is we all live outside of God's will and word. We, we, we seek to be obedient, but if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we don't always love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We know that we don't always love our neighbor as ourselves by treating them the way we'd like to be treated. We, we can often ignore our, ma- our neighbor or not under, understand the pain they're going through. As Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all guilty of sin. We sin every day, whether it be through thought, word, deed, or all three. We are sinners. Which reminds me of the story... uh just this last week and this is a little confession for you of mine. Confession is good for the soul. The other day I was in the grocery store and I was I was needing to run a fast errand. I needed to get in and out real quickly. I only had two items to buy and I had a meeting that I needed to rush to. So I, I came into the store and I, I bought a gift card which was something I needed to get for a friend and then I, I had some shampoo and I thought, okay, I've only got two items and I would have gone through the self-checkout line but it, I wasn't exactly sure if, if I could use a, a, pay for a gift card through the self-checkout line and I saw that there was this other line that only had one woman in it and it looked like she had very few items in her basket. She was in one of those motorized baskets that doesn't hold a lot of items anyway. So I thought, well, I'll get in this line and she doesn't have much, so this is gonna move fast and I'll be out of here in a jiffy. Well, she didn't move in a jiffy. (laughs) She would slowly take each item, look at it, decide whether or not she wanted to buy it, then put it on the conveyor belt. And then God bless the, the cashier there. She was about the age of my grandmother, if she was still alive. She would take the item and look for the barcode and try to find it. And then slowly scan it across two or three times and then place it in the basket. I'm thinking, oh, this is taking a long time. I, I looked over at my watch. And I was like, this is not good. And I looked to see if there were any other lines that I could get into that might move a little bit faster, but there weren't any other lines I could get into. I was like, oh, man, this is like having to, to watch paint dry. I mean, this is Painful. Well, finally, after several minutes, she finally got her last item to the cashier. The cashier scanned the last item and announced the total price. And the woman said, Well, let me get my credit card. She pulled out this huge purse and she had to find her credit card. She pulled out one item after the next to finally find her credit card. I was like, Oh, Lord, please. And I said, Lord, give me some patience. I have none right now. I need to go. Can you help this woman find her credit card? Well, finally, she found her credit card and she paid for it. And then they began to transport the the bags into her little uh, motorized basket. And I said, hey, can I help you with that? Because I could tell she was moving slowly. And she said, no, no, I've got it. I know just how I want to put these bags in so it'll all fit. Okay. And so we watched and we waited. Well, finally, she got all of her items, and I quickly put my shampoo down and my, my gift card that I was wanting to buy. And the sweet cashier, again, who was about the age of my grandmother, smiled at me and said, well, how's your day going? <laughs> just fine, I said. I lied to her. <laughs> I was in a hurry. I was very frustrated. I was not having a good day and I needed this moment to move quickly. So she scanned my two items and I put my credit card in to pay and I signed my name with Chicken Scratch and I grabbed the bag that she gave me and I rushed to the car. When I opened the trunk to put my bag in, I noticed that while I had two items to put in the bag, she had only put one of those items in the bag. She'd left the gift card at the counter. I was like, oh man, are you kidding me? You had two items to put in one bag and you couldn't get them both then? I was losing my patience. So I rushed as quickly as I could uh, back to the cashier. you know, And, and as kindly as I could, I, I, mean, I was just so frustrated. I said, I didn't get my gift card. She said, oh, I'm so sorry. I was just waiting for you to come back so I could give it here. Here you go. And I smiled at her and I was really frustrated. And I looked at the car and I said, oh, you know, I'm glad I didn't drive all the way home and find this out. That would have ruined my day. She goes, oh, I'm so sorry. You know when you're in a hurry, it's hard to love well, isn't it? When I'm in a hurry, I have a a hard time loving well. I I know that patience, you know, it's a virtue. Actually, patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Patience is actually the first adjective that Paul uses to describe love. Love is patient. When I'm in a hurry, I'm not exhibiting a lot of patience. Anybody else here ever lose their patience? All right. Glad I'm not the only one. Anyone here this week ever have any unwholesome thoughts or wishing people were moving a little bit faster around you? Anyone else sin this week? Anybody here? Okay. Now, if you think you didn't sin, you might be struggling with the sin of pride, just so you know. Or if you're not sure what your sin is, I would encourage you to go to Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. If you're not sure what your sin is, Jesus will tell you what your sin is. Because sin is not just about what we do, it's actually what's going on inside of our hearts, as Jesus makes very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. And the truth is, we're all sinners. And as King David explains in Psalm 14, verses 2 to 3, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They've all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no, none who does good, not even one. No matter how hard we might try during the week to be blameless, we will continue to wrestle with sin The doctrine of original sin actually teaches us that beginning with our first parents who committed that first sin of of eating the forbidden fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and they did that because they wanted to be like God in their pride, and their idolatry, they wanted to be like God. Well, beginning with that first sin, we have now inherited a, a sinful nature that left our own. We are prone to wander, prone to rebel against God, prone to sin. In fact, we're sinners not because we sin, but rather we sin because we are sinners. We have a sinful nature, and we need God to cleanse us and to change us. Well, the good news of the gospel is that God loves us too much to abandon us in our sin. Yes, he loves us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, who was without sin, to rescue us, to save us from the powers of sin and death. In his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus did what we could never do. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to our heavenly Father, fulfilling all the requirements of the moral law. Then he died as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, fulfilling the requirements of the, of the um, sacrificial law. And of course, then on the third day, he rose again and conquered sin and death on our behalf so that we might have the assurance of eternal life, so that we might have a new life if we simply believe in him and confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. Yes, in his resurrection, Jesus conquered sin and death on our behalf. And Jesus is the suffering servant that the Ethiopian eunuch is reading about in Isaiah 53. As you read just a moment ago, like a sheep who is led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. The prophet Isaiah lived over 700 years before Jesus was born. And yet as you read through Isaiah 53 in its entirety, you'll see that he is a perfect fulfillment of that passage of scripture. For in Isaiah 53, verse five, we read, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Isn't that a beautiful description of what Jesus did on the cross? Pierced for our transgressions. Crushed for our iniquities. Now of all the scrolls that the Ethiopian eunuch could have been reading, of all the books in the Old Testament that the Ethiopian eunuch could have been reading that day, why was he reading Isaiah. Well, if you keep reading Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 56, you'll see that there's actually a word of hope for eunuchs and foreigners. For we read in Isaiah 56, God says, "'Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, "'The Lord will surely separate me from his people. "'And let not the eunuchs say, Behold, I am a dry tree. "'For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, "'who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant.'" I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. If you can imagine, this Ethiopian eunuch has traveled five months from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship the God of Israel. But when he arrives, he's not allowed to come into the inner sanctuary of the temple because, well, he's a Gentile. And if they knew he was a eunuch, they wouldn't even let him in the temple at all. And so he must have felt very rejected and defeated, but, but he knew that in Isaiah there was a word of hope for the eunuch, so he began to read it. But as he read through Isaiah, he also knew that, well, that there was a suffering servant who had to come first, who had to pay the price for the people's sins before the eunuch and the foreigner could be fully welcomed into the kingdom of God. Philip is now telling this Ethiopian eunuch that that suffering servant has come. His name is Jesus. Jesus. He paid the price for our sins and and now you as an Ethiopian unit can can enter into the kingdom of God if you simply believe in him. Yes, anyone who humbly recognizes that Jesus is Lord is welcome in the kingdom of God and that is good news. Amen? Amen? That's good news worth sharing too, isn't it? When was the last time you told someone the good news about God's love that we find in Jesus Christ? When was the last time you told them that That they don't have to earn their way to heaven. They can simply receive it as the free gift that it is through grace. You know, living here in Amarillo, there are a lot of people who've heard about Jesus. and They don't necessarily understand the message of Jesus, though. Maybe along the way, they felt rejected by the church or by Christians somewhere along the way. And they think that they need to change before they can ever come into the church. Or they think they've, they've got to earn God's love in some way. But Jesus helps us see that God loves us because he loves us. For God demonstrates his great love trust us that while we were yet sinners, still sinners, he died for us. He paid the price for our sins. And we receive this gift, this amazing gift, this grace, God's unmerited favor, simply through faith. Who do we know in our schools, our neighborhoods, our, our places of work, our social circles, who still don't quite understand the gospel who, like the Ethiopian eunuch, need someone to explain it to them. Now, if no one comes to mind for you in this moment, I would encourage you to pray. Pray that God might put someone on your mind, place someone on your mind that you need to share the gospel with. I would encourage you that as God lays that person on your mind, that you begin to pray for them. Pray that they might have an open heart to to hear God's word. And the next time you're with them, I would encourage you to quietly pray to yourself that, you know, that, that God might open a door in the conversation so that you might tell them the good news about God's love. Because if we have any hope of fulfilling the great commission that Jesus gave us of making disciples of all nations, we need the Holy Spirit to guide us. Notice in our text this morning, it was God, an angel of the Lord, who told Philip to go to the road uh, to Gaza. Then it was the Holy Spirit who told him to run up on the the chariot that was still moving and and go and speak to that Ethiopian eunuch. Yes, ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit who uses us to help bring others to faith in Christ. And so we need to walk and step with the Spirit. And we do that by praying and meditating on God's holy inspired word. It's interesting to note that in this conversion of an Ethiopian eunuch, the Holy Spirit is beginning to fulfill The charge that Jesus gave to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is actually the thesis of the whole book of Acts. It really lays out how this book is going to go. If you'll remember, right before the resurrected Jesus ascends to heaven and to sit at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, Jesus tells his disciples, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. If you remember, Pentecost Sunday happens in Jerusalem where the disciples receive the Holy Spirit and they begin to preach and thousands of people come to faith in Jerusalem. Then the word begins to spread to Judea and last week we looked at how Philip was preaching in the city of Samaria and now he's preaching to an Ethiopian eunuch and for, for Jews in the first century, Ethiopia was the end of the earth. But Philip didn't have to go to Ethiopia to meet an Ethiopian eunuch, did he? Now the Ethiopian was, was on the road to Gaza. The Ethiopian had already come to Jerusalem. The other day, I was talking to a friend of mine from Houston. I was explaining to him how our city has the largest number of refugees per capita than any city in the state of Texas. People, as we talked about on July 3rd, people who, who are leaving war-torn countries and in, in, uh, in places where it's not possible to freely worship Jesus Christ or even to openly preach the good news of Jesus they're coming here to Amarillo what an opportunity we have to share the good news of God's love with them what an opportunity we have to let them know that that there's one who paid the price for their sins and he conquered sin and death on the third day and and they can enter into the kingdom of God if they simply believe in him one of the reasons we teach teach ESL English as a second language at Palo High School is so that we can minister and reach out to the refugees One of the reasons we're so involved with Heal the City is because as refugees come to Heal the City to get free medical care, we might interact with some refugees and tell them the good news about Jesus. Brothers and sisters, they're in our community. Let's not miss this opportunity to make disciples of all nations. We don't have to go to the nations. They're coming to us. Yes, by God's amazing grace, anyone who, like this Ethiopian eunuch, humbly recognizes that Jesus Christ alone is Lord is welcome into the kingdom of God. In fact, if you look at the way that Christianity has spread around the world, you can see it's proven to be the most inclusive, culturally, uh, faith in the world. Most of the great religions like Buddhism, Hinduism, and Islam still have their greatest concentration of adherents in the regions of the world where they began. But Christianity began in Jerusalem, and less than 1% of Christians in the world live in the Middle East. 36% of Christians in the world live in North and South America. 26% of Christians live in Europe, 23% of Christians live in sub-Saharan Africa, and 13% of Christians live in Asia. In fact, the church is growing quickest, fastest in Asia, Africa, and South America today. It's the good news of the gospel is that anyone who humbly recognizes that Jesus Christ alone is Lord is welcome into the kingdom of God. And that's good news worth sharing. May God guide us as we seek to share that good news this day and every day. Please join me as you pray. God, we thank you so much for the inclusive nature of your love, that you're the God who invites us, all of us, to come to you. You're the God who has commissioned us to go and make disciples of all nations. And we thank you, Lord, that refugees are coming to Amarillo. What an opportunity we have to, to share with Iraqis and people, people from Burma and all over the world who, who are far from you, who don't yet know you. And we can tell them the good news of God's love. Oh, Lord, help us to be bold and our witness for you. Help us to be guided by your Holy Spirit and, And if if there's anyone in our life that doesn't yet know you, Lord, give us the words to speak and give them ears to hear. Help us to always be attuned to your spirit so that we might follow and obey as Philip did and so make disciples of Jesus Christ. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ and all God's people said, amen. As you probably are aware, we have um, for many, many years Uh, helped the Amarillo Children's Home with our financial gift.